so as Job says, God is using the plans of men to carry out his plan, not their plan. And the, the fact that he's predetermined, this, this is the same truth that comes true in our lives. God has a plan for our life. And whether, whether we like it or not, uh, we need to try and find it because his will is going to be done. Yeah, it's a good point. And all the threads come together. You know, whether it's Pilate or Judas or this or the betrayal, they all merge and converge on Christ. Yes. Have you ever thought, I, I just, it occurred to me, the word Barabbas, the name Barabbas, means son of the father. Yes, right. The irony that, that they're both son of the father. That's right. That's a good point. And what was the rap sheet on Barabbas? Thief. A revolutionary, yeah. a murderer, and a thief. What does it say in John 10, 10? The enemy comes to do what? Rob, Rob kill, destroy. To your point, Pilate's got on this side the son of man, on this side, in a sense, the son of the devil. Barabbas, son of the father. He, he had those quality traits to him. And he's saying, what do you want back in your midst? Who do you want back in your community? A thief, a killer, a revolutionary, or a man that raised the dead, healed the sick, and taught things that no man ever taught before? Give us Barabbas. And there what you see is the substitutionary death even before the crucifixion. The guilty would go free, the innocent would go to die. How did Barabbas feel after that when he went free? I think there's a movie made of it. I mean, it's fictionalized, but, but, uh, but even before the cross, we see this idea, the innocent dying from the, for the guilty. You understand? That's woven through the pages of the scripture. What was the first thing to die in the scripture? First thing to die. It's not a trick question, though. The, the animals to clothe that Adam and Eve. to clothe Adam and Eve in the garden. Thank you. Adam and Eve clothe themselves with fig leaves. Yeah. It's inadequate. God comes, talks to them, converses, and clothes them with animal skin. What did the animal do? Nothing. Nothing. He's innocent. The shedding of blood. God initiated, and it was a complete covering. That goes all the way through the scripture till the end of the scripture when it sees the saints in white robes, and they wash their robes in what? Blood the blood of the lamb. You understand? It's innocent, guilty, all woven through the scriptures. And that's what we're going to pick up on this Good Friday uh, discussion we're going to have. Here we see in Luke chapter 24, our Lord is taken now to be crucified. And we pick it up. Here's his first statement he'll make in verse 34. If somebody would look at that and read that, please. Luke 23, verse 34. Saying the Lord is risen indeed. Uh -oh. and which one? Luke 23, verse 34. Oops, sorry. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Okay, now, the first thing Jesus... Now, we must consider what has happened to our Lord in this past week, what we call Holy Week. When he comes in on, on Palm Sunday, um, the people hail him, Hosanna. They're quoting from Psalm 118. Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us now. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees have pushback. It's Passover. The whole Jerusalem is loaded with, with, with adult uh, Jewish males. That's one of the required feast days. And they come in, and, and, and the Pilate and all those are on guard, too, because it's Passover. Why would they expect a revolt on Passover? What happened on Passover? What did it harken back to in history, in biblical history? Freeing, freeing uh, from Egypt. Pardon me? Freeing from Egypt. Blood, that was when the they, Jews were freed from slavery. They were under the heel of Pharaoh. He was cruel. He was merciless. He killed them. He oppressed them, a type of a Satan. And it, they were released by what? 
Blood. The blood of the lamb. Okay, very important. And that's when our Lord's come. So if there's going to be a liberator coming in, a king, this is the time. You'd want it at Passover. You get it? So they're on, everybody's on edge. Everybody, and Jesus allows himself to be publicly declared he's the king of the Jews. He's coming in now, fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9 9. Behold, O daughter of Zion, he comes humbly on a donkey, on a foal. Your king is approaching now. So there we have the established, it sets up. And for the next days, particularly the trial phase, everybody's trying to find something wrong with Jesus. And nobody can find anything wrong. Pilate says he's an innocent man. He sends him to Herod. Herod wants to see a miracle. Of course, our Lord doesn't do it. He says, I don't find nothing wrong with him. Judas throws the money at the, at the, at the steps of the temple. He says, I behold, I betrayed innocent blood. <clears throat> the thief on the cross says, uh, uh, he's done nothing wrong. What were they supposed to do with the Passover lamb back in Exodus chapter 12 for four days? They were, after they got the lamb and separated it, what were they supposed to do before they kill it? Examine it for what? Blemish. blemish. Spot or blemish. What are they doing with Jesus, the Passover lamb, when he comes in at his trials? <laughs> Looking for what? Fault. Spot or yeah, blemish. Yeah. He's the perfect Passover lamb. Yeah. They're preparing, unbeknownst to them, for the ultimate sacrifice. So it says here, our Lord says, Father, forgive them. Think about what they've done to him. I mean, emotionally, you might add some of this. I just jotted down some quickly. He was mocked. He was wrongly accused. He was spat upon. He was stripped naked. He was betrayed by friends. He was abandoned. He was alone. He was publicly humiliated. Physical. He had puncture wounds, laceration, dehydration, fatigue. He was bruised. He was beaten. He was slow suffocating on the cross. And ultimately, he was stabbed. We have doctors here who probably could add to this. Think of this. If some of you have been to Israel, you, once you get up by the Temple Mount and you look down through the Kidron Valley to where Jesus was arrested on Mount of Olives, how long is that? Up to Caiaphas's, there to the Praetorium, there, that's back over here, over here. And they're beating them all the way, you see? And now they got him on the cross, hoisted him up on the cross after he carries the cross beam, maybe 620 meters or more. He's, he forces himself. That's why they need to get somebody to help carry that crossbeam, perhaps over 100 pounds, to get there. He wills himself to get there because he knows he has to go perform the sacrifice. And the first thing he says is what? First thing he says, looking down, all his mockers and persecutors and people that drove nails into his hands and feet, he says what? Forgive them. Forgive them. Father, forgive them. To me, that reveals the heart of God. This is his first saying. It's directed towards the Father, and it's on our behalf. Literally, all our behalf. He went to the cross because of all of us. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And here we see Jesus in, the, in his priestly role. He's the intercessor. Okay? When he ascends to heaven, almost 45 days later, 40, 43 days later, he ever liveth to do what? Make intercession. For us. Here, here we see him in the role of the intercessor, and he's, and he's saying right from the get-go, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Any thoughts on this? Any insights you guys might want to share? Anything? Yes, please. John. John, can you provide any insight on verse 28? Where he said, these the crowd in the morning. Well, can you read that, John? Loud. It says, but turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. 
then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, to the hills, cover us. Or if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is... Okay, green? so the woman's crying, Jesus is coming, what we call the Via Della Rosa, <coughs> the way of the cross, and she, she's weeping for him, and he says, don't weep for me, uh, weep for yourself and your children. If she had a little baby in 30 years, what's going to happen to Jerusalem and the Jewish people, Bob? It's scorched earth. It's, it's a historical narrative by Joseph Flavius in his book, uh, History of the Jewish Wars. They level that place. They, uh, it's, it's a mass murder, enslavement. The temple, not one stone will be left on another. If you go there today, you can see these big stones still in the pavement. Her child that he said weep for, that generation, would have faced that. And when the Romans came, they tried to hide in caves. They tried to hide anywhere they can. And so he's saying, look, if you do this when I'm here and you reject me, how much more when, when the false these Roman legions come in, you see? All of this is prophetic. All of this is predictable. What gets me is you can go there today and see it. And that's just no more temple. You know, everything Jesus said came true. Yes, please. Bob. I think, when you mentioned it, when Jesus said they not what they do. Louder, louder. It just goes to show that the... That, that they really did know that they were killing, who they were killing, that he had it under control because they were confused of why they killed him because they had no reason to kill him. Well, in a sense, yeah. Even Peter says this in his sermon early in Acts, that they did this in ignorance, whom you, whom you take it by wicked hands in ignorance. Even today, I mean, people that use God's name in vain or blasphemy, they don't really know what they're doing. Am I right, generally speaking? You know, we were all there but, I mean, I, before I was a believer. But they don't, it's ignorance. You see what I'm saying? Ignorance of a holy God. Ignorance of God's uh, precepts and principles. So they weren't fully aware, perhaps, of what they were doing. They knew what they were doing was wrong, but that they know this is God coming to flesh and what they were doing was fulfilling God's plan, et cetera, et cetera. No, I don't think so. Okay, so the first thing Jesus says is he prays. And now this is very important because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, he says... Pray for those that despitefully use you. Pray for your enemies. It's, this is counterintuitive to the Greco-Roman world. It's our world today, too. It was a push-and-shove world. To introduce forgiveness, it, it, it breaks the paradigm. That's why somebody as well said, Jesus changes the whole course of human history. The earth never wobbles the same after he's been here. The, what he does on the cross that day will change things forever. Forever. And the first thing he does is forgive. He prays for others, not for himself. And here we see an interceding. And now the next, in Luke, we'll stay in Luke, he faces these thieves. And uh, maybe you could read, if somebody would read uh, verse 39, same chapter, through uh, 43. That's Luke 23, 39 through 43. This is the second statement our Lord will make. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, this is the second statement. What did he do right previous to this? He prayed for what? <clears throat> Father, forgive, forgive them. them for and what are we going to see here? Somebody receiving that forgiveness. Yeah. 
First one gains entry into heaven is a thief. He picked the lock. He got in. He understood what to do. <laughs> People like that. But the idea being here, you have these two thieves. If you go to Matthew, we won't have to, but 27, it says both of them were mocking. At one time, both of them were, were disparaging. Perhaps they're picking up on the, the whole crowd. You know, it's it it a time of mockery and ridicule, and they probably figured, okay. But the one has a change. He changes. And that's when he says here, he says, um, but the other said, he rebukes them. Do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? For we indeed justly, uh, we, we, what we're getting, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, what is he, theologically, what does that man just stated there? He stated a lot in those two verses. He sinned. He acknowledged he's a sinner. What else? That Jesus is innocent. He knows that Jesus is guiltless. This is one more person that says he's, he's done no wrong. He's recognizing that he needs Jesus to get in there. He's saying, don't, he's, don't, don't you fear God? Yeah, he, he's learning the fear of God here. You see what I'm saying? <clears throat> so he's, he's actually uh, spiritually uh, on a quick curve here, so to speak. He'll, he's saying to his partner, um, we're, we're guilty. You see, we've done wrong. This is a very important starting point for conversion. It's like when the prodigal son, he goes to a far country, wastes everything, he's feeding the pigs. But then he finally says he came to himself. <clears throat> Luke chapter uh, 15. He comes to himself and he recognizes he's done wrong. Anytime we take responsibility for our own actions, that's one of the steps towards conversion. See, once we come to that point, conviction leads to conversion. And then he, the prodigal says, okay, I'm going to return. I'm going to say to my father, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. Please receive me back as a servant. You understand? This guy's going through that kind of transition here. And he says here, um, then he says to, to, to Jesus, verse 42, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now what kind of insight does he have? There's an afterlife. There's an afterlife. Very good. What a, what's he called Jesus? Pardon Salvation through Christ. What else? What's he called? Lord. This is a criminal hanging on a, on, a, on a cross, and he turns to him, he calls him Lord. That's significant. Okay, this is really significant, what this man has been revealed to him. And then he knows that Jesus has a kingdom. He doesn't say any kingdom, he says your kingdom. What did Pilate write above? King, uh, of, the the king of the Jews. King of the Jews. Does he look like a king? especially in the Roman world, crucifixion, where we get the word excruciating, was the worst form of capital punishment devised by the Persians, honed to us craft by the Romans, and it was terrible. I mean, it was shameful. You're stripped naked, you're whipped, you're scourged. Uh, you're in, we were just in Israel, and they say, look, this place, they got two places they identified, but it had to be outside the city gate. They think it was on a thoroughfare. So a crucifixion was essentially a billboard. That's what it was. And the charges up against it, if you're traveling from Damascus to Jerusalem, you see three guys or five, don't lead a revolt. Oh, yeah, that's what's going to happen. It was a, that's what it's about. But this man sees our Lord's kingship in his suffering. And then, of course, he asks. Very important. When he, he doesn't just think this. He acts upon it. And he says, and then Jesus um, says, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Okay. Now, it's amazing stuff, but how does that 
model or that template relate to us today, or does it? I suggest that that crucifixion scene with Jesus here and the two thieves on either side is a metaphor for all human existence. At, at any point, uh, you can be forgiven if you take Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Okay. There, is no, there is no late time. Any time you can be renewed in his, uh, his Okay, life. great, yeah. David. Yeah. So there's, there's no... Today is the day of salvation. Don't get me wrong. We can, we can come to Christ at the 11th hour. He came at about 1159. <laughs> the problem, I had a friend that says, well, I'm going to wait you know, until I retire and this and that. He was having a lot of fun, whatever. And I says, don't wait for 11th hour conversion because you might die at 1030. <laughs> you see, today is the day of salvation. Too many people procrastinate. Seriously. And, and a big problem, I think, in our day and age, quite simply, is distraction. We're distracted people from considering spiritual matters. We put more in, in interest, time, involvement, and worry into our retirement than we do in eternity, about what's coming in eternity. You see? Yeah. It's just what we do. <laughs> I'm not saying all, but I'm saying Jesus is, you know, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? You know, that's the, that's the, the thing. Did somebody else have their hand? Yes, please. One thing I love about the thief on the cross, he's actually my favorite Bible hero. We mm. tend to think of Daniel and Joseph, these uh, men for whom God does great exploits. And that's great. We want to be used in that way. But what I love about this picture, it is all about Jesus and what he did for us. There is nothing we can do uh, on our own to gain his acceptance. And I, I love the thief on the cross. I think it's the most beautiful picture of what salvation truly is. You're right, because it's all by faith. You know the thief on the cross couldn't do one good work if he wanted to? Why? His, his hands were nailed. I mean, seriously. So here's your picture of humanity. You have Jesus in the middle. You have these two guilty thieves on either side. We're guilty. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none that is righteous. No, not one. Number two, the thieves were dying. If you study the narrative, they got hours to live. Pretty soon, about 3 o'clock, 3, 3.30, the guards, the Romans come up and they're going to break their legs so they can no longer push up to breathe. So they, they got, their, their life is short. They're guilty. Their life is short. They're going to die. How many realize that our lives are short? We're going to die, right? Yeah. Nobody gets out, you know, out of this thing alive. So we're dying. Some might have 20 years. Some might have 30 years. But we're guilty. We're dying. And we have an opportunity to turn to Jesus like the one thief Dismisses him, disregards him, mocks him, uses his name as a curse word. The other one says, no, I'm guilty, I'm wrong. Simply by faith, Lord, would you receive me into your kingdom? Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in heaven, in paradise. Do you understand? It's a perfect picture of the human condition. One lived, one died. God says in the Old Testament, I set before you this day, life and death, choose life. All through the scripture you see that paradise. So now we see the second uh, statement our Lord makes. And um, here, here we come to the third one. In, in the, this is where our Lord is going to turn over Mary. Uh, it's in the Gospel of uh, John, I believe. Um, he, he turns to John and he says, Son, uh, behold your mother. What book are you in, John? Uh, let me see. Uh, John chapter 19 and verse 20, uh, actually it's uh, verse 25. 
Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the widow of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene, the three Marys. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, who is that? John. John. We think it's John. John was the only one at the cross, perhaps. The others were afar off. They were, they were really scared because they might they think they're going to be swept up, perhaps they're going to die with their leader. They don't know. And he says, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. This will be his third statement. And of course, th th this is fulfillment of prophecy. Way back in Luke chapter 2, at the presentation of our Lord in the temple, Zacharias will say about he's, he's here for the rising and falling of many in Israel. But he says to Mary, and a sword is going to cut through your heart too. In other words, you're going to feel this, this pain, if you will. And it's fulfillment of prophecy, actually. But here, what's our Lord doing? At a very practical level, he's doing what? Taking care of his family. Taking care of his family. Yeah. He's taking care of his responsibility. He, he's, he's got limited time. He's got limited breath, you know, in his body. He's, it says in Isaiah 52, he's more marred than any man. And, he's, and he's, his first three statements on the cross concern others. Mm -hmm. His first three statements on the cross concern others. Yes, please. My father was a World War II veteran. He was 91 years old. He shared the gospel with him for decades, and he refused to accept the gospel. And literally moments before he died, my brother whispered into his ear about the thief on the cross and told my father that he could not earn anything, but that it was free to him. He asked my father if he would accept Jesus before he passed that's powerful that's a wonderful story anybody else have any kind of situation like that literally an hour or so before he passed away minutes, minutes. yeah that, that's the thing god's mercy is new every morning in a sense the welcome man is out every day you know but we cannot delay you know, you can't delay. That's the thing. Yes, Tom. But we insist on saying that's not fair. And I think our human nature, the old sin nature, clings <coughs> to the fact that we want to earn it or we do something for it. It's not fair to get it for free. And I've worked so hard. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's a modern problem. Modern man, all, all man has always had this idea where he diminishes the holiness of God and he exalts his own righteousness. But what the Bible declares is God's holiness. You can't even approach God's holiness. If you look at people like Moses at the burning bush, Daniel, uh, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and John in the book of Revelation, when they have a glimpse of God in all his glory, what are they? These are holy men. What do they do? Fall. The they come undone. They're falling. Their, their knees are shaking. They say, woe unto me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Just the slightest <coughs> glimpse. So we diminish God's holiness, generally speaking, and, and we say, I'm not so bad. I'm not as bad as the other guy. You know, maybe God will grade me like this. And I deal with people who think God is dealing like a scale. If you got enough good deeds, it's going to weigh the out, you know. I say, that's not how it works. The icon uh, for, for the Bible is not a scale, it's a cross. Just with a yes, please. I don't, I don't think it's much different than how a father or a mother would treat their children. You might have two children that are wonderful kids and another child that is just like constantly a thorn in your side. And, you know, you don't love them any less. Yeah, right. You might even love them more because you want to see them coming back, back to you. And, and that's the thing. 
God's love is there today. I mean, of all days, of all weekend, Easter weekend. And, um, but again, John, John the Baptist comes preaching and Jesus opens his early sermon. Repent and believe and flee what? Flee the, the wrath. wrath to come. That's, here's the good news, but here's the bad news. Do you understand? And what's happening today around oftentimes is we diminish the wrath. We, we focus on God's love, God's mercy, but we kind of forget about his holiness, his righteousness, his justice. <coughs> we have to hold these in a scriptural balance. Yes, Mark, did you? That's why it's difficult for men to understand the, the, the depth of God's grace, is we feel as though for some reason we need to uh, work our way into it and through it. And the woman caught in the act of adultery said, where are thine accusers? Go and sin no more. The grace is there. It just, it has to be appropriated. Yeah. And for God so loved the world that he gave, that's a gift, his only begotten son, that whoever believeth or receiveth him, and you, if, if somebody gives you a real expensive gift, jewelry or something, or a car, and, and they just want to share that with you out of love for you, and you come and you sit down with a notebook, you say, let's work out a really good payment plan now. And they're going to look at you and they go, that defeats the purpose of the gift. You can't pay for this. You can't. It's so expensive, you can never afford it. I'm, all you got to do is receive the gift and say thank you. But if you say, I'm going to get a little coupon book and pay you 30 bucks, a, you know, what's that about? You cannot earn this thing. And that's when all religions, all of, I'm not criticizing other belief systems, but it's works-based. You see, how much, well, how much work can you do to approach an all-holy God? You know, if we're all on the shore of Malibu and we're going to swim to Hawaii, the best swimmer in, our, in the bunch here may go two miles in the Pacific, three miles maybe. Nobody's going to make it over there, right? So t we need a carrier. You need a boat. You need a plane. So, too, we needed the God-man to come and carry us over. Does that make sense? Somebody yeah, and, you know, the, 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 uh, the key thing, and we talked about this in the resurrection, is the shedding of blood, the perfect sacrifice. And before, when you had... Uh, you know, a bloodshed, it had to be annually because there was no way they could do the perfect sacrifice. So really, we got to get through the cross. That's why it's called Good Friday. I never understood that as a Roman Catholic because we had to do the stations of the cross and I hated it. But when you look at Isaiah 53:10, it talks about God was pleased to crush him, like you mentioned, John. And for me, I never got that till a few years ago. So it's the shedding of the blood and that's why it happens and we move forward with the resurrection so yeah the, the blood will become the essential that's the issue the blood the shedding of the blood and again that's from genesis to revelation uh that that and that why to your point without the shedding of blood there's no reason the soul that sinned shall die well how do we how do we remedy that you know how do the israelites get out of uh egypt they're helpless hopeless they're not militarized at all a blood of a lamb. It makes no sense, yeah. but it makes sense when Jesus is introduced as the blood of the lamb. Mm -hmm. The next one, I'm moving along here, is, is will be the fourth one. Uh, we see our Lord, uh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The second one, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Third one is taking care of his mother, his responsibility, and sharing that with whom, with whom he trusts the most at that time, which is the Apostle John, and he will care for her uh, and on and on, but it shows to us whether it's our work or ministry, let's not get so caught up in work or ministry we forget our families. There's great evangelists that regret uh, how much time they spend on the road and doing meetings and everything else, then they lose their family. See? 
it says in Timothy, if a man doesn't take and provide for his own household, he's worse than an infidel. Take care of the basics. The light shines furthest that shines brightest at home. You know, just do it right in the home. And we have a saying in missions, uh, don't export it if it's not working at home. Yes, please. I think we need balance in our life, you know. Yeah. yeah you can put every, everything in one thing, but we need balance with our family, we need balance with everything. Yeah. And here our Lord is, is honoring the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. And he's, so he, you see him from large group, forgive them, down to the individual, and now uh, to the care of Mary. And this will come to the middle uh, verse. Uh, and this is where our Lord will say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eloi, 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 Akma, Sabachthani. And now this is the famous one. And when, when pardon me? Which, which gospel? Uh, Matthew, I believe. Let me double check. Matthew 27. Matthew 27, thanks, Dan. Um, uh, this will be his fourth one, the middle statement out of seven. And this is the most, in many ways, the most profound. Because Jesus will open it up by saying, Father, he'll close the seven statements by saying, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Here he addresses him as God. Now, if you're a Jewish person, you're a Pharisee of Sanhedrin, you're standing around the cross at this time, what does that phrase hearken back to? what he, our Lord just said there. What is that, if you, if, you, if you understand scripture and Psalms, what does that harken back to? Psalm, Psalm 22, 22, verse 1. Let's turn there for a moment. Psalm 22, verse 1. Written a thousand years before. Not written by Christians. Written, <laughs> this book is a completed volume, 200 years before our Lord comes. Verse, chapter 22, and um, if somebody read verse 1 and 2. My dad, my dad, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from seeing me? In the words of my groaning, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. This is the intro. That's what Jesus just said in Matthew. Okay, my God, my God. But please know, he says here, this is what's, what's transpired now on the cross at this time. They put him on the cross at 9, you got till 12, you got 12 to 3. This is when the curtain of darkness is pulled. It's like nighttime, three hours of darkness. What does the psalmist here say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 2, he says what? Oh God, I cry in the daytime, and you do not hear, and in the night season, and I am not silent. Do you understand? He's crucified in the daylight, then the night season, the three hours of darkness come in. Do you understand? This thing is spot on perfect when you study prophetic as it as it converges on the cross at this moment in, in history, in, in our Lord's life. Now let's look at a couple other things. Look at verse 6, chapter 22. I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men despised by the people. He says, and those who, who see me ridicule me. They shoot out their lips, they shake their head. He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. This is written in the first person, a thousand years before the event, the crucifixion. Yeah. And he's seeing... By the Holy Spirit, David is seeing this stuff. Get it? And he's saying they ridicule, they mock the very thing that's happening to our Lord. It's perfect for Good Friday. And then he says this, verse, jump down to verse 12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. What's he talking about there? It's a metaphor. It's poetic. What's the bulls of Bashan? What's lions? What's dogs? Later he'll refer to dogs and circle him. What is, what is that referencing, perhaps? Think of our Lord on the cross, 
looking down, who's at the base of the cross, circling around, mocking, laughing? Romans. Romans. In uniform with armor, spears, laughing, whatever. And he's looking down and he sees this, right? And he says, then he says, verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint, but they're not broken. Okay? Passover lamb could not break. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. What does that tell you about him physically? He's spent. He's spent. Dehydrated, dust, you know, blood's probably coming down, pouring in. And he, he's looking down, and he sees these Gentiles circling all around him. And he says in verse 16, dogs have surrounded me. What was dogs in the Jewish context? Gentiles. Gentiles. Because they ate. They didn't eat kosher. You just, you know, like wild dogs, you know. He says, dogs have encircled me. So you see the metaphor of lions. You see bulls. You see dogs. What's hanging on the cross? The lamb. The lamb. This is Passover day. The lamb. So you have all these metaphors, you see. And now you see the lamb on the, as he is slain. And then he says this. The congregation, verse 16, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Pierced my hands and my feet. What was capital punishment a thousand years before our Lord came? Stoning. Stoning. This was way before the Greeks, way before the Romans. Stoning. He says, you've pierced my hands and my feet. This is very similar to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, where it says, I'll pour my spirit upon the house of Israel, and they'll look upon me, they'll look upon him whom they've pierced. That's 700 years before Christ comes, and they're talking piercing, you know. Um, and then, then he says this, I can count all my bones. You can imagine looking down. They look up and stare at me. Now what do they say? They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. See, when Roman soldiers killed somebody, they could take whatever that person owned. They'd split it up. It was called soldier's pay. Take what you want, the purse, the robe, the duck. Why wouldn't they cut his robe? It was a one piece. Seamless. It was seamless. You know, that may have been the only thing our Lord owned on this earth. He says, the birds of the air have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When he wants a donkey to ride in on Palm Sunday, he says, go up here, you'll see something tied up. If the owner wants it, tell him the master needs it. At his grave, he, a, a rich man gives him the grave. You know, this may have been the only thing he owned was that robe. You know, we, we do these college seminars and stuff like that. I tell people, study the life of Jesus if no other either. He's so different than any other religious founder. And this man moves across the, the page of history for three years. You know, I had an atheist friend, you know, he couldn't buy any of this stuff. I ended up saying, when were you born? He says, 1952. I says, 1,952 years from what? He looked at me, oh, yeah, the birth of Christ. I said, your birthday's based on his birthday. Think about it. He was laughing. He says, I will think about that. <laughs> but so in Psalm 22, we have this description. And we'll get into this next week. But our Lord, it says, verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. My strength hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. And then what happens, it swings. Everything swings there, pivots on verse 21, uh, where he says, you have answered me. I will declare your name in my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You will pick that up next week when we talk resurrection. That's resurrection language. He's got through the suffering phase. Now he's in the congregation. He's declaring who he is. So this is all embedded in the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament. 
You know, we could go all day long just to use the Old Testament. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, now, this, this is shrouded in mystery. I've Books have been written of what Jesus, what does this mean? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I don't even attempt to try to answer to I think a lot of this is wrapped. All I do know is the essential transaction of the crucifixion was between the Father and the Son. Just like in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham takes Isaac up, he leaves the servants down here, and the essential transaction is between the Father and the Son. What happened here, what our Lord was saying here and quoting here, what we do know is this. At this moment, everybody had left him. It's dark, it's pitch dark, his friends have ran away, uh, the Romans hate him, the Sanhedrin, his own people. He's not even on it, he's suspended between heaven and earth, if you will. And he, it's, he's minutes prior to death. Yes, Bruce. I wonder if this was the moment, and I'll personalize it with my sin, was laid upon him. Mm. And it says in the scripture. The God, he had to look away. Yeah, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He that knew no sin became, became sin. sin. For us, that we might become, it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, he was made a curse for us, for cursed that is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Um, uh, you know, you could go on and on, that God sent him, Romans chapter 8, verse 4, 5, he sent him in, in likeness of sinful flesh. At this moment, he's taken that cup that he prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it be your will, take this from me. We don't fully understand the cup of the sin, the wrath, the degradation, all of this at that moment in time, what's going on. But all I do know, because he did this, we who are separated from God can now be united with God. Yes, please. I, I always looked at that, those lines, why have you forsaken me? Is, uh, Jesus was human. Mm -hmm. He was human and he was God at the same time. And this wasn't the one time on the cross, the one human thing that he said, everything else was more divine. It showed more of a connection. But that, I think, is, is there to show us the true extent of his suffering. At that one moment, that even like when he's in the grace of God and fulfilling all of what he came here to do, that he was still human it's still suffering a great deal. I think it's a good point. You know, we sometimes we forget uh, the humanness of Christ. Or here's where people make the mistake: they totally focus on the deity of Christ, or they minimize that and focus solely on the humanity of Christ. But like that's a very good point because if you study the life of Jesus, he got tired, he got hungry, he got thirsty. We're going to see that in a moment. He he wept at the funeral of his friend Lazarus. He 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 slept in the hollow boat. He grieved. He was he had these human qualities and to your point this thing is all converging on him now yes please yeah I, I was sort of I gotta be honest with you I was surprised because I've, I've got a King James study Bible here and uh, for uh, Psalm 22.1 it says this my God my God while on the cross the torture Jesus cried out these words as in Matthew 27.46 and Mark 15.34 Hell is total separation from God as a punishment for unrepentant sin, the state of being forsaken. Jesus went through this hell stirring in our place for our sins, so we will not have to. But you know, a lot of people, especially I was raised Catholic, you hear 
Jesus descended into hell and led a host of captives. I, I don't know where else that is in the Bible, um, if that actually occurred, or was this the sort of hell just being separated from God? He well, it's hell. a big topic, but remember what he said to the thief. What did he say to the thief on the cross? Today, Today you'll be with me in paradise. <clears throat> okay, I don't want to, this is a big topic, I, I, I segue too much anyhow half the time. Yeah. I think uh, uh, from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock there's a lot going on on the cross, and then from 12 to 3 there's some really strange supernatural things happening. Yeah. I think in the demonic world, you know, the, there's a lot of whirlwind going on, and I think the, the miracle of the cross, I think, that a lot of time is skipped is God compressed eternity of damnation in three hours, I mean, or six hours, or however you want to say it. And that, I think a lot of people miss that because they say, well, he was beaten, you know, all this other stuff. But the idea about eternal punishment, eternally, was compressed supernaturally during that limited period of time. That's a miracle. I mean, one of the miracles of the cross. Yeah, we don't know fully. I mean, all I know is he took the full cup that God had presented to him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he, in his humanness, I mean, he prayed three times. But nevertheless, thy will be done. What happened there? The full extent of what happened here? Like I said, good scholars will say this. And I don't know. But all I know is because of that, uh, we can now connect with God. That's the beauty of it. He took the full bump. He took the full hit of that. And I'm going to move on. Otherwise, I won't close. But th th then, then it moves uh, from that um, fourth statement to the fifth. You'll see it in John. And that's where he says, I thirst. And if you turn to Psalm 69, just for a moment, uh, Psalm 69, uh, verse 19 through 20. If somebody would read that out loud. Psalm 69, uh, verse 19 uh, through 21. And we'll stay in Psalms. I'll, I'll start wrapping it up here. Psalm 69, verse 19 uh, through 21. You know my reproach, my shame, my sin. My foes are all known to you. <coughs> broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforting, I found none. And next verse, uh, 20, yeah. They verse. gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. They gave me sour wine. See, that, that, that's prophetic, because now they're going to ease his pain just a little bit, and they, they, they get a sponge with hyssop, and they put it up to the prisoner. And, but what Jesus refuses this stuff, but at that time he takes it, and some theologians feel that he, he takes that just to get his lips so he can finish his statements that he's going to make. But this comes right out of a prophecy a thousand years before the event. And notice what mankind gives to Jesus? Sour wine. And what does he give us? The cup of blessing in Holy Communion. You know, it's very interesting. He's stripped naked so that we can be clothed in the righteousness of God. He wears a crown of thorns, which was the curse in the garden, that thorns of this one. Everything, Jesus reverses everything <clears throat> for our benefit. It's just amazing. Okay, uh, we won't go into that much further. And then finally, our Lord <coughs> will say, uh, it is finished. That'll be a sixth statement. It is finished. This is it. And, um... Uh, it's victorious. It's, a, it's, it's like a proclamation. He might get all the breath he has left in him to say it's finished. What's <clears throat> finished? His work here. Everything. His Everything. Work. What was the first recorded words of Jesus in the Bible? It's not a trivia question. Don't you know I have to be about my father's business? Don't, when did he say that? When he was 12 years old. When he was temple. 12 years old in the temple. Remember he was teaching and his... Joseph and Mary said, what are you doing? We thought you were with, you know. You and he been? says, do you not know I must be about my father's business? When he says that, 
He's completed it. You understand? God's redemptive plan has been completed. He suffered. The Passover is completed. The blood has been shed. And so it is finished. And what happened here? Number one, all the prophecies have been fulfilled. We could go through it for another hour. All the prophecies that converge on this crucifixion. Number two, through the shedding of blood, the new covenant is instituted. Number three, through the shedding of the blood, uh, the, the, the strength of Satan has been broken in the lives of believers. That's why it'll say in Revelation 12, they overcame the, the devil. Why? Through the, through the word of their testimony and what? The blood of the Lamb. In Colossians says he made an open show of them publicly. And when I lived in Southeast Asia for years, where people are really under a lot of demonic oppression, they have spirit houses and all this other stuff, they fear spirits. When they see what they can have in Christ, that's a major con conversion point for them, that they don't have to fear evil spirits. We could go on again and list all the things that were accomplished in this cross. It's the finish of sacrifice. It says in Hebrews, that's it. We don't, that's why we don't get animals and goats and go to some temple and sacrifice them down in Avon or Ridgeville or Bay Village. You know, it's over. The perfect sacrifice has come. We've been released from the law. He's taken upon himself the perfect. We, we, don't, we don't keep kosher. We don't keep Sabbath from sun, sundown Friday. We don't circumcise every male that's converted. That's a game changer. Right, on and on and on. But what I'm saying is he's changed it all. Yes? Yeah. And, that, and actually you get to see his, his glorious you know, afterlife that the, the only one can see is one is uh, after he's risen. He's right. really walking in a, in a human spirit. His human, it's over. You know, he's completed the task. He'll say that in John 17. I, I've completed uh, the, the, what you called me to do. Uh, be, be glorified in me. He calls it his hour. This is, this is if you take the arc of, of uh, Bible history, this is, this, is, this is the high watermark. This is it. This is it. And finally, we'll close on this. This is his seventh statement. Seven is often the number of completion <clears throat> or perfection in the scripture. And here's where our Lord will say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Notice he calls us Father, Father, Father. And uh, the, he, what, what's very, there's many things interesting about these statements. But if you notice, Jesus is in a place of uh, control. Yeah. He's in a place of poise. He's in a place of, he's like controlling it even when he's on the cross of what he's saying and what he's doing. But finally at the end he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And uh, very similar to what Stephen says in Acts chapter 7 when he's being <coughs> killed, uh, stoned to death, he looks up and sees Jesus. He says, into your spirit I commend my spirit. Into your hands I commend my spirit. <laughs> to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see? Uh, Paul will later say, he says, I'm in a fix um, for me to live as Christ and die as gain. gain. So here we see the seven statements uh, on this Good Friday. Any closing thoughts? I, I just think when you reflect upon these, what Jesus did for us and what the implications are for us this very day, is, is, to me it's tremendous. Yes, Bruce. John, uh, we all obviously never know where anyone in this room and I'm not urging some sort of altar call because this is not a, a place for that but just uh, someone's never realized that it's, it's been about religion or maybe it's been about no faith at all you know, when they're in their journey I say Jesus Christ did this for me yeah I received I think you, that's very good, Bruce. And on a good Friday, what a apropos time. Maybe there is somebody here that's been coming and is curious or interested but never made that commitment that the thief on the cross did. And really, salvation is simply acknowledging 
my sin. I can't do anything about it. I'm in need of a savior, but Jesus wants to freely give that. And if anybody's in here and, and, and is in that position today, I'm gonna, Bruce, have you closing a word of prayer, maybe even leading in that. Uh, but uh, come up and talk to Bruce, talk to me, talk to Mark, talk to Don. But I would urge you uh, to, to consider this uh, seriously on this particular day. The Holy Spirit is in our midst here. And, this is Good Friday. I mean, I accepted the Lord back in 1975, and uh, man, you know, that was it for me. That was my whole world, and I don't know, upside down or right side up or whatever, but it's the greatest thing ever. I mean, really, really, really. Uh, life, Jesus is the best explanation for life. Just is. How to relate to your spouse, how to raise your children, how to face hardship and grief, and the, the best is yet to come. Eternity. John, it says in Romans 9, 10, and 11, if you believe in your heart, <clears throat> confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and 11 says and those who believe will not be disappointed yeah exactly right and be sure to talk to Bruce because they have the alpha program in different <clears throat> venues that's an excellent way if you're curious and need more questions answered <clears throat> questions is a good sign it means you're <clears throat> any closing thoughts before we close in prayer anybody want to publicly acknowledge they would like to receive Jesus this morning Bruce, I give it to you. Father, uh, I think I can speak for this about every man in this room that's heard what John shared. We're, we're grateful. Uh, we're saddened in some way that what we have done would cause this to be the solution. But we're also incredibly grateful. Lord, if there is any man in this room that this needs to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I accept your gift. Make me new. Then let that be, Father. But uh, for all of us, I thank you for John's incredible gift of teaching. <clears throat> and Father, as we go out of here today, uh, it is a good Friday, but it's a sobering Friday. It's a Friday that would cause us to rejoice. <clears throat> Father, we look forward to... Uh, Tony Campolo used to say, Friday's here, but Sundays are coming. And we never want to lose the joy if he is risen. But we can only really truly see that joy when we see the cost that was paid. And then the, the, the resurrection, the exclamation point at the end of the sentence. You really did finish it. And we can have new life. So we praise you this morning. We thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your sacrifice, your mercy. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Happy Easter, and we will be next Friday, and we'll look specifically at the resurrection. <coughs> Thanks, Dan. Good job, guys.